Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me is Ben Sawyer, the Chief Executive Officer of SOAR. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched the SOAR Vision Group to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results. Jennifer Strahan is SOAR's Chief Operating Officer. She has partnered with over 100 businesses and health systems. She specializes in connecting strategy to operations, and she is a Master Black Belt, the Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. We're very excited because we have a very special person joining us. It is Dr. Morton Hansen. He is an author, professor, and management theorist with award-winning work on social networks, collaboration, knowledge management, and corporate innovation. Dr. Hansen is a management professor at the University of California, Berkeley, and was previously a professor of Instead and Harvard Business School. He was also a management consultant at the Boston Consulting Group, and he holds a PhD from Stanford Business School, where he was a Fulbright Scholar. Now, he doesn't know this, but we have talked about him extensively on some of our shows because we often reference his 2018 book, Great at Work. He draws from extensive original study of 5,000 managers and employees to show how top performers work less and achieve more. And then by doing that, provides a new theory of professional productivity. This is what you need to know about this book. It has changed lives. He devised seven work smarter practices that can be adopted by anyone looking to maximize their time and performance. And as Dr. Hansen has told us, this is not just for people in healthcare. This is not just for people in Fortune 500 companies. This is for anyone doing business. Morton Hansen, happy to have you. Hey, it's an honor to be here. So Morton, thank you for coming on and for our listening audience, uh, just to echo what Duffy had said, we're thrilled to have uh, Morton on the show. Uh, We've had the privilege of having him as a keynote speaker for two of our healthcare CEO roundtables, which we do about every quarter. And it is riveting when he comes in and talks to them. In fact, we we follow up with the CEOs and ask them on a zero to 10 scale to give us feedback on each of the segments. Right. His is 12 every time. (laughs) Nice. Which makes whoever comes after him in a challenging spot, which is normally me. So as you say, we always put Ben there now. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah, exactly. So so Morton Duffy gave a, some of a background in terms of what you've done. But I think for the listening audience, they're going to want to understand a little bit of how did you choose management science? What in particular got you focused in the great series? And, and then we'd love to learn a little bit more about some of the books that you've written. Yeah, I used to be a management consultant at the Boston Consulting Group, and it was fascinating because I could see how management theory uh, could really change um, organizations for the better. Right. So I decided I, I should try it out and become an academic. <laughs> and the first thing I did was to look around and see if there were some interesting projects going on in some business schools in the United States. And I came across, across this project uh, called the Build to Last project at Stanford Business School with Jim Collins and Jerry Porras. Right. 
and I decided to kind of join that as uh, helping them with that book and that project. And uh, that's some years ago now. Um, and since then, I just uh, couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started uh, doing my PhD and became a professor and, and I've done a series of, of academic studies and, and, and management books uh, since then. So, you know, they published the Built to Last book. Jim, Jim Collins published the Good to Great book. And then um, Jim and I became very good friends, and we always thought we should do something together. So we decided to do a, a, a follow-on study to, to Jim's great, uh, Good to Great, and, and, and that book is called Great by Choice. And, and all of these books are about sort of what, what creates high-performing organizations, really. Right. So um, you've had also chances of being able to apply this. Uh, I understand that you have a relationship with Apple relative to their Leadership Institute and a number of other organizations where you're making it practical with leaders. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of an academic who lives between practice and the academic side. Yeah. So I, and I love that intersection. Yeah. Um, it's applied. Uh, so you do some studies, you kind of figure out what works based on data, evidence, not your opinions, and then you apply it um, and you learn from practice. It's like a, it's a nice synergy there. And um, so I, I spend a lot of time working in organizations. I have a, a part-time relationship with uh, Apple. So I teach Apple leaders in something called Apple University, nice. which is the kind of the leadership development arm of, of Apple. And then in addition, I work with uh, companies, uh, helping them with, with training and also how to apply some of these things. And, and that really, it's, uh, it's really rewarding. And it also means that I have to force, you know, my things, my, my ideas and insights to be practical mm. so people actually can make their, their job, you know, and performance and lives better. Which, by the way, Jennifer, um, has brought us into a closer relationship with Morton because of that practical intersection. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I was just going to say that exact, exact thing as you started to go there is that most people, when they're reading books, it's really hard to relate it, right? Because if it's too academic and it's too theoretical, it's hard to make it where it's practical with concepts of how do I relate this to my day-to-day? -day? How do I transition this from theory to practice? And I think that's one of the things that's actually made these books so just so well-known. I mean, you can look at all of the great series books and see that it's not just something of again, of theory, but it's something I can take out and reply and apply to my day to day. I mean, as simple as I was just reading, reading up on some of these over the last week as we're getting ready for another CEO event coming up and just freshening, refreshing my skills, I would say. And let's be honest, you just love reading books. I do like to read books. Dr. Hanson, what you don't know is she references your book. She references other books. I have a reading list that's going to take me until about 2024 <laughs> to finish because she's always reading and, and passing things along. So it probably takes high me that praise. long too. <laughs> no one's got that much time and somehow we, we just make it happen. But it's interesting because, you know, I was, things that are just practical. So even right. for instance, thinking about how do I just take away the, when you're thinking about strategy, that is so ambiguous. There's so much to think about when you're starting to get there. So how do you take that down? And as simple as, Hey, what are you really good at? And how does that connect to your passion? And how does that connect to the economy? Right. And, and starting to think through, can I be financially viable with this? And does it fill a market need? And, and those are things where you start to just ask the right questions that I, I think it makes it practical for people. So, Morton, in an effort to make this practical, as you and I have talked about, we wanted to kick off a special Leader Dialogue radio show series called Great at Work after your book where we collaborate with you on unpacking these principles and helping 
people just to understand how they can apply it. So with that as a context, let's get that started. Give us just a little bit of background on the book, Great at Work, kind of how you approach the research, and then we would love to hear some of the very high-level sense of some of the, the key things that were learned during that process. Prior books that I've been working on, uh, Great by Choice, and I have another book called Collaboration, which is about how you collaborate across units in a company or in a, in a hospital, for example, were not so much about the individual. It was They were more about the management systems. Right. Then I wanted to do a study, a very simple question. What is it that the top performers in any role do that the average person doesn't do? Right. And, you know, I'm an academic. I study things. I don't just have opinions. So I created a data set of 5,000 people, junior people, senior people, men, women, different uh, functional roles, different industries. So including healthcare, hospitals, but also uh, retail, uh, uh, consumer goods across the kind of the board. And we measured their performance. And we also did a study of what they were doing, their practices. I mean, how did they work? Not so much who they were, but how did they work? And we spent years studying, you know, that data set. And this book is the answer to the question. So there are some, you know, really big surprises here. Is it, you know, the first surprise, it wasn't well, really great surprise to me was, you know, I had no priors really. So, so it wasn't like I was trying to prove something. But one hypothesis was that, well, you know, the bigger perform, the best performance, they just work more. They just work harder, more hours. And that's not true. They work hard. And if you're a slacker and you work very little in a full-time job, of course you're not a top performer. But they work hard, but they don't work the hardest. And that's the difference. So it's not how much they work. It is how smart they work, to put it that way. Now, that's an empty cliche, smart work. Uh, Who wants to work dumb? Nobody. Uh, But what does it mean? And these practices in this book are really about that, how you work and how you work better than others, and not how you work more. And that's, that's a very important finding because a lot of people, they find that work is a grind. They, work, they think that they have to work all these hours in order to accomplish more. And that's why the title of the book is sort of like, you know, the best performance, they do less. They choose the right things and then they achieve more. So I am fascinated that you studied 5,000 people. Um, mm. You said it took a long time. Can you give me a time frame? Yeah, it takes five years oh uh, to study. Yeah, you know, we, we always think that these things are going to take half the time. Like, I thought it was going to take two years, oh. but it takes five years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in year That's three and four, year. you're like, mm, okay. I tell my husband that with his projects, too. He's like, oh, I'll get that done in two weeks. I'm like, yeah, we'll double that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but that. the significance yeah. of this, Morton, a couple things. First of all, as you had articulated before, this is not based on theory. This is not just, hey, I'm an experienced professor and I've been in management consulting for a long time and you should listen to me. This is really you going out without those filters and trying to find out the truth. Is that what yeah. it is? So, you know, if it turned out that the greatest performers were the hardest working people, then that's the truth. And right. you have to report that. Right. Now, it wasn't the truth. It's, it's, it's more complicated than that, obviously, as I just said. So you have to report the evidence. And there are certain things you don't necessarily find that you think you will find. That's, that's the great thing about surprises. I think that this book overturns a set of uh, stereotypes, a set of myths about what it means to be a top performer, whether you're a manager or whether you're an individual contributor. My question, too, with these 5,000 people, obviously, they knew they were part of a study, Right, I get, they need to know that. How much did they know what you were looking for? And 
obviously if you say to someone i'm gonna watch how you work right there i mean heads up they're gonna you know the, the, hawthorne effect mm-hmm. well, yeah alter what they do but ha- how does that happen there were different methodologies that we deployed so part of it is a quantitative kind of scoring of their practices it's kind of the latest phase because i needed statistics you you have to sort of and then there are in-depth qualitative uh, interviews with themselves with their boss with the peers and so on so there's a very elaborate set of methodologies and and you just have to get away from this idea that i want to study your performance tell me how you perform that's the wrong way you want to ask them about you know how how they work and you want to ask your boss about how a certain person works and then later on you sort of add the kind of performance afterwards so one one thing doesn't kind of bias the other and then you have to do some fancy statistics to make sure that there aren't too many biases. Any type of work, you know, will have some limitations. And um, I wanted to do 5,000 because then you're actually getting evidence instead of saying, talking to only 50 people. Uh, so that was the key thing. Uh, so you can actually, you can actually produce numbers. And, and here's a fascinating thing. If you look at, so, you know, the, if you look at the difference between a top performer and a kind of average performer, right. it's, quite, um, it's quite amazing how large it is across different professions and, and roles. And the people who, who really mastered the seven practices that I talk about in this book, some were between 50 and 100% better performers than, than the average. It, wow. it, so it means that the, the bang for the buck of, of following these practices is, is quite large. To me, that's a helpful message because these practices are about how you work and everybody can learn them, everyone. These are not, it's not about who you are, whether you are good looking or bad looking, whether you're charismatic or not, uh, whether you're born with a certain IQ or not. It's not about who you are, it's about how you work. So I wanna go back to something that you mentioned around working hard. And part of that is because, you know, we do a lot of work with healthcare, obviously. I have found that people in healthcare are some of the hardest working people out there, in my opinion. And that is obviously, that is not an academic statement. But um, the reason I say that is because there's a mission behind it, right? People who typically work in healthcare, they're there for, they're dedicated to what they're doing and they will work their tails off. They'll work long hours. They'll work as much as they can to try to, you know, provide care to the patient or to do what they need to do to support that mission of the organization. So I just want to take that back to some of the things that we've talked about on previous shows around, you know, we talk a lot about strategy execution and how the individual who's at the front line doing the work has to be connected back to the strategic organizational goals that they're setting setting up and making sure that we're not just pushing down more and more and more to them because that becomes incredibly overwhelming. I think of it like a snowball effect as you get closer to the front line because anytime you have an idea as an executive, it becomes you know a flurry of ideas down to the next level and the next level and so on. And so one of the things that I'm just thinking about, and Ben, I'd love for your perspective on this as well, is as you consider the connection from individuals being great at work, and how do we tie that back to the strategy? And we've talked about in the past the significance of, frankly, how poor we are sometimes at connecting it from a cascading strategic plan down to the front line. But yet what you're saying is that if I'm hearing you correctly, and that's you have to work hard, um, but not the hardest. You have to be dedicated. There's, you can't slack, as you mentioned, but it's got to be focused on the right things. It's got to be connected to the strategy. Yeah, so Morton, I'm going to deflect that question to you. In other words, ha- given what you just described, which it's not about just working harder, it's about being able to focus 
and then to be able to be really diligent on the particular competencies or skills that are going to drive the fulfillment of that. In the context of what Jennifer just talked about, how do these principles that you're talking about in Great at Work apply? Right. So let's, let's take one of the key principles as an example here. I call it do less than obsess. It's the idea of, you can call it focus. Every great performer in our study set, or most of them, they are really incredibly good at figuring out what are the key priorities in my role, whether it's a senior role or a junior role. Right. And then, so that's a do less, right? They, they don't go and say, how many things can I actually get done today? They say, what are the three key things I have to get done today? Mm-hmm. And other things are second priority. I got to get these three things done today, this week, this month, this year. And then you say, okay, if I focus on those three things, it means that I can actually do obsess. I can actually dedicate myself to excel in those three things. But if I'm doing 10 things or 20 things, then every one of them is going to be done like half-baked probably. I don't have the time and the resources to get them done. This is, of course, incredibly challenging, especially in healthcare where you think you have to do everything. And, but that's not true. So you have to sort of say there are key things I need to, to do and I need to improve on those. And then now for a senior leader, like the CEO of a hospital, for example, they would have to say the hospital cannot be doing everything for everyone. There's got to be a set of priorities. And they have to articulate what they are. And then the next level down, I have to say, okay, if that's a priority for the hospital, then in my department, if it's surgery, then I have to you know, prioritize these things. And then you, you're cascaded down. And then you get to the individual, right? So there is an individual nurse, and there is an individual surgeon, and there is an individual uh, staffer. And they have to say, okay, there's a bunch of things I need to get done, but what are the most three important things I have to get done? And I have to excel in those three. It doesn't mean that everything else is you drop it. Uh, but it means that you have to be able to say these are the three most important things. And a couple of techniques, you talk about practice, how you do that. I often ask people, okay, look at the way you spend your time. So take the last week. Look at your calendar, the meetings you go to, all the stuff you're doing, you know, um, if you're in a hospital, how much are you seeing patients? How much are you meetings you're going to in the hospital, in your department, across hospitals, and so on? And then you look at, you write down your top three priorities in your job. And then you take those three priorities and you map them onto your calendar and say, okay, how much of my time is spent on those three priorities? And that's often a shocker for people. They say, it's way too little. I bet. I did this with a management team and they said no one had more than 30%. So wow. the other 70% of their time, they're weak. They spend on busy stuff that kind of encroach on the important stuff. This is challenging. It's not easy to do, but but the principle, you know, is, is kind of you got to focus on the top three. And, and one really fun technique here I ask people is, okay, write down the top three. People are actually pretty good at that. They can do that. And then I say, what's on your stop doing list? Uh-huh. Because there got to be things you're doing that are, you know, probably not worth their time. And you do it maybe while you're doing it. Well, maybe you think you have to do it, but maybe you don't. And, and you put down things on the stop doing list. Maybe it's, yeah, I don't need to go to that meeting. Do I really need to take those phone calls? Do I need, really need to be in a four-hour staff meeting? Can I just be there half an hour? I mean, there's stuff you can sort of start, you know, taking away that will free up time for the, for the, the top three. And this principle, do less than obsess, as I call it, it applies to almost every person, everywhere. So what's interesting as I'm listening to you talk, Morton, is people's individual activity happen within systems. I mean, you've alluded 
to that. Mm-hmm. So if the senior leader, for example, is a, let's call him a do more boss, doesn't understand the cascade that Jennifer was talking about of spawning a ton of initiatives and action items, they potentially are paralyzing their frontline people mm-hmm. to not be able to do less and then obsess, correct? Yeah. And so, but we, here's the interesting part because one of the things we do to make this, this uh, book and this advice practical in, in the graded workbook is that, you know, we did some really deep level case studies. So you can see what, what actually people do. And I spoke to, you know, we interviewed and spoke to uh, uh, a number of these top performers and some of them had these do more bosses. So how were they able to focus when your boss is not focused? Right. I think we've all been there. We've all been there, right? It's, 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 it's pretty common. They're great at managing up. So Uh somebody told me the following. Okay. So my boss came to me and said, you know, can you take on one more assignment? You're already doing three, but can you take on the fourth? And, you know, you can, but you're not going to do great work because now you don't have priorities anymore. So this person said, well, okay, uh, back to the boss. Okay, yes, I can do that. But which of these four would you like me to do first? And that's a pretty smart question because you're putting the burden back on the boss now. Right. Right, So that because the, the job of management is to prioritize. Correct. Uh, instead of saying, oh, I should do all four because I need to please my boss. It's the wrong approach. So let me ask this question then. The principles that you've articulated within Great at Work, and there's seven, is that correct? Yeah. So in those seven, do they relate like that? In other words, if you're trying to do a do less than obsess and you're being challenged by it, there's another related principle like managing up that you can apply to be able to then do both well? I mean, talk to us a little bit about sort of the interconnectivity of these principles. Do you principles. have to yeah, do so they, seven to right. be able to, you know, be a top performer? Yeah, so these seven sort of hang together. What we found is that if you can do one or two of them, you have some better performance and then it kind of adds on to it. So it's not like it's, you have to do all seven to get any change. You can actually just incrementally become a little bit better at each one of them. Uh, and again, that's hopeful. You don't, you know, because otherwise it sounds hopeless. You know, you, you, you tell me master seven or else I can't perform. That's, that's not the message. But the, the one I mentioned about managing up, it's not another principle. It is a tactic in the first one. Got it. Because I'm going to, so the, my book has really a principle. The principle is do less than obsess. But then I need to prescribe these tactics, the practices of what are you supposed to do? And one of them is I need to figure out my top three. And if my boss is not organized uh, and focused, I need to manage up. It's a tactic. But here's how they hang together. So the principle is do less than obsess. In other words, they are brutal in a prioritization, people who perform. Then the question becomes, what should I focus on? Then the next principle. That's called redesign your job for value. In other words, where do I add most value to my organization? It's the guiding principle there. And of course, that's not so easy to answer. And the whole, you know, I have a whole chapter helping you to answer that. So we can, you know, we'll get into more of <laughs> right. that, you know, yes. but, but, you know, in, but that's, that's how these hang together. So for our so, listeners, let's just describe for them, Morton, kind of what we have in mind for this special series. Because what we're going to do is interview around each of those principles, have you unpack it, and then we're going we're gonna to go into sort of a deep dive and talk about its application. Um, so the first week will be kind of an introduction of the principle. The second uh, week will be a deep dive on how that applies and, and you know, how do you make it real. And the mm-hmm. idea then is to make that available 
two organizations that want to listen in either individually or as a group so they can interact uh, and be able to avail themselves of this on-air coaching, essentially, as they uh, read the book and learn how they can make it practical in their work environment. So one of the things that I just want to pull out, because I think it's really critical here, is that when you're talking about, uh, you said something that I thought was really fascinating. You said the job of management is to prioritize. And I think that's so well said and so simple in terms of the message. Uh, And there's a ton of things that you think about or theories that you can connect to. One that comes to mind for me is top management theory, where it talks about how the organization's tend to follow what's important to the management. And so the senior leaders, typically your C-suite type or senior executive leaders. But what's interesting about that, what I wanted to pull it back to is Baldridge. So as you guys know, we have a, a close relationship with Baldridge Foundation. And when you study recipients of Baldridge, one of the things that they talk about is actually a similar premise to what you're talking about with being able to do less than obsess. And that is having strategic focus and then cascading it all the way down to the front line. And so this is something that it's it's it seems like it's not only evident at an individual level, but it actually builds by the masses to make organizations very effective as well. Absolutely and and there needs to be that link and, and, and just give you I'm going to give you a very vivid example of somebody who does that incredibly well. It's not in healthcare, but it's Southwest Airlines. And Jim Collins and I studied their kind of business strategy in the book Great by Choice. And their strategy is is that they need to have their planes up in the air a lot to get the full asset utilization, as they call it. But if you go to the front line of Southwest Airlines and say, you know what, I need you to maximize asset utilization, <laughs> they will look at you saying, you, what language are you speaking? Okay. I don't understand what that means, and nor do I understand what I'm supposed to do. So the CEO kind of wrote down the cascading principle, and, and he basically said, quick turns at the gate. Back in those days, it used to be 10 minutes. Now it's about maybe 15 or 20 minutes. I'm a frontline employee. I understand. I need to get this aircraft in and out of here as soon as possible. And it's got to be fast, right? That's why you line up like cattle, you know, because you've got to get in and out fast. I get that. That's the frontline is there hustling to get it done because they know that that is a key thing in Southwest Airlines. They've got to get it in and out of the gate. And that's why but I fly Southwest Airlines. That's exactly why I fly Southwest Airlines. I am yep. not going to get upgrades because I'm not in first class on any airline. What I know about Southwest, they're going to line me up. We're all getting on the plane. We're getting there. We're getting off the plane. And you know what it turns out? They're fun in the meantime. That's another thing they're great at. Everyone has a good time. You're not getting any extra snacks, any extra service than you normally would, <laughs> but you have a better time because they're honest about who they are. Yeah, and it's a beautiful link between the strategy. I call it Boston Wings. I think that's their strategy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the front line, how they behave, right? That's a classic thing about, about cascading here. So you need to know what are the key things. If you're a flight attendant or a, a gate operator South Island, you know that you're, you have a couple of key priorities. What are the means to get this aircraft in and out of there as soon as possible? It's interesting in healthcare, Jennifer and I were looking, just glancing at each other when you were talking about this, because it's a common challenge with how complex that environment is, Mm -hmm. that we bring the definition down to middle management, like we need to reduce our, our length of stay time, that patients are here. And then we just say that to the front line, like we need to, we need to reduce length of stay. And the front line's looking at us like, what am I supposed to do with that? Or worse, they think they interpret it incorrectly, right? They're like, why are we just pushing patients out instead of thinking about how 
how dangerous it is for patients to be here longer than they need to be. Right. So what what we constantly are working on in strategy execution, exactly what you're talking about, Morton, which is how do we help make that simple, right? It's your strategy, your talent. How can we help translate that in the front line so people understand, look, if I get an order in quicker and there's a quicker turnaround time on that order, that's going to impact length of stay. Or if I can get them out of the emergency room into the hospitalist service and into a bed sooner instead of waiting in the ED, that helps the patient experience and it also helps our, you know, the, the patient's journey through the hospital. So that has so much applicability. So with that, for the listeners who are leaders, why should they dial into this special series? What what can they expect to learn and take away? Why, why should they spend their valuable time on this kind of an interaction? So these seven practices apply to leaders and apply to individual contributors and, and especially leaders. And the first four practices is about kind of mastering the work in, in your department or the organization you're responsible for. And the, the last three is about how you work better with others, including collaboration. You know, in the collaboration chapter of principle, you know, we talk in case study about a hospital that, that kind of turned around its operation from uh, being in the silos to becoming collaborative and in the process kind of reducing the readmission rate. I feel like people might be able to relate to that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a common problem, right? So that's why we need to become better, for example, at collaboration and better at all of these practices. And we will Im- improve the economic performance of the organization. That's the ultimate thing. So that's what it's about. It's a performance book. Mm-hmm. How right. do we perform better for our organization? Right. That's a question I, I answered in this book. That's, that's in this study. perfect. So when we start this series in the first Friday in January of 2020, what would you encourage listeners to do? Should they assemble their team so they can have interaction uh, around these principles, or what? What are some of your thoughts um, so that they can get the most out of it? Should they send away for your book in advance? What 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 suggestions do you have, Morton? Well, I think if you're a leader or a manager, I think to sort of say it with a team, you know, let's go on this journey and, and figure out these principles together. Uh, it could be a small team, three, four people. It could be ten people. It could be twenty people. I've done all of these kinds of interactions, and and if you do that, you're getting more impact than just doing it yourself. So, last question. In your role as the executive that is helping to support the Apple Institute, what is a key principle there as it relates to taking information like this and being able to apply it that that you've been able to refine with them? Unfortunately, I cannot really talk about what we do here at Apple, so it's a, that's a little more difficult. But I can say one thing, and it's not in the book. Steve Jobs and Apple... I think are masters of the principle of do less than obsess. They're incredibly, Steve Jobs was incredibly good at focusing the organization and saying, these are the key things we need to get done. And we say no to the rest for the time being. And that has driven so much of Apple's success. And there is this principle of focusing and simplifying, and it matters so much. And that's what I found in this study. The the study was not using Apple as 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 a part of it, but it was using, you know, the same you know, or using data that came to the same answer. If you've enjoyed listening to Dr. Morton Hansen as much as we have, he's got a really special offer for you. Yeah, I would like to make 1,000 copies of the book Great at Work available to the listeners for free. Wow, that is amazing. amazing. Okay, so Ben, how do we so do this? So listeners, what you can do is open up the webpage 
on Leader Dialogue, leaderdialogue.com, and we will have a webpage there for you to fill out to provide your information so we can send that book to you. I'm already reading it. I'm so excited for everyone else to read it, and it's just going to help us as we plow through this. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Morton Hansen. We it's been a privilege and uh, we are excited to delve into that book. I want all our listeners, we're going to try to remind you of this because I don't know how to say this politely, but you're basically getting a podcast that is teaching you stuff that people pay big, big dollars <laughs> to learn while they're stuck, you know, stuck. You get to do this in your pajamas at home. <laughs> Maybe you guys could all just, you know, decide to talk to each other later. But this is a great opportunity for anyone who wants to be a leader. This is not just for the C-suite people. This is for anyone who wants to be a good leader, even if it's your own business. Um, and this is what it's all about, is making better leaders. This is what SOAR does. Obviously, this is what Dr. Hansen does. And he's done all the work for us. So all we have to do is follow along. This is also great for people who don't like reading. Okay? I'm telling you, there are people who their boss hands out that new book every month and then we'll have a conference call about it. This is a way for interactive learning and find out real life examples of how to do this. Thank you so much, Dr. Hansen. And for our listeners, make sure you know when 2020 begins, we are embarking on this. In the meantime, we have podcasts each and every week. Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time, visit Business Radio X, the Gwinnett Studio, to find the Leader Dialogue, or better yet, visit leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben Sawyer, Jennifer Strahan, and our producer Amanda, I'm Duffy Dixon. Join us next time on Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X.